welcome to PreachItAudio.com. If you're encouraged and strengthened by this message today, be sure to tell someone who this message may bless about PreachItAudio.com. Or simply share this message by copying it to a CD and giving it to them so they can listen to it at their own leisure. It is always our prayer that this message will be a blessing to you. May it be a source of strength and help for the struggle you may be facing today. Lord Jesus, I ask you to bless this one who may be listening to this message. Let your word be a light into their pathway as they go through their day and the week ahead. Bless them, Father, with all spiritual blessing is my prayer today. In Jesus' name. Now we take you to the service already in progress. God bless you. Psalms 141. Listen to this. David said, Lord, I cry unto thee. Make haste unto me. Give ear unto my voice when I cry unto thee. Now here's a desperate plea. He said, let my prayer be set before thee as incense. And the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. He's talking about I'm going to pray. And I'm going to lift my hands. And I want my prayer to be like incense. And I want the lifting of my hands to be like an evening sacrifice. Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. Incline not my heart to any evil thing. To practice wicked works with men that work iniquity. And let me not eat of their dainties. Let the righteous smite me. It shall be a kindness. And let him reprove me. It shall be an excellent oil. Which shall not break my head. For yet my prayer also shall be in their calamities. When their judges are overthrown in stony places, they shall hear my words for their sweet. Listen to this. Our bones are scattered at the grave's mouth, as when one cutteth and cleaveth wood upon the earth. But mine eyes are upon thee, O God, the Lord, and thee is my trust. Leave not my soul destitute. Keep me from the snares which they have laid for me, and the gems of the workers of iniquity. Let the wicked fall into their own nets. Whilst that I with all escape. And everybody said amen. And you may be seated. I want to talk to you today for a little while on incense. God's remedy for the unbearable. God's remedy for the unbearable. Now, I read to you that David made a request to God in a desperate, desperate prayer of which there are many in the book of Psalms. And he said, Let my prayer be set before thee, or set forth before thee, as incense. Now, every teacher, every Bible scholar, every preacher here, I think has probably preached about the incense offering. You have preached about the components and the composition of incense. It's a tremendous Bible subject. Very interesting subject. I have never, in my years of study of uh, references and theologians, and I've never heard a preacher preach. I've never studied an article. But what that um, the writer would always say, and I'm convinced that they are right, that incense is the best probable type of prayer that there is in both Old and in, New, and in the New Testament. And this has its roots and its beginning in the book of Exodus chapter 30, where the Lord is giving uh, Moses the instructions of how to build the tabernacle, what to put in the tabernacle, the dimensions, the construction, all of these things. Very interesting study. Now, in the 30th chapter of the book of Exodus, and I'm going to take a little time, a few minutes here, to, to lay a little basis for what I really want to say a little bit later. Uh, God gives to Moses... The dimensions of all of the articles of the tabernacle, the dimensions of the tabernacle itself. One of the <clears throat> wonderful little things, one of the wonderful little pieces of furniture that went inside of the tabernacle, inside of the holy place, uh, was the altar of incense. Uh, it gives the dimensions of it. Uh, it's about 18 inches wide, uh, 18 inches deep, uh, about 36 inches high, if you judge a cubit to be... Uh, 18 inches and just a little you might say just a little square topped piece of furniture it was overlaid with gold perhaps had a little scalloped or maybe straight-edged crown around it uh, had staves or had rings on all four corners that you could put a stave through had horns on the corner of it it was called the altar of incense and not to bore you with 
unnecessary descriptions and definitions and all of that. We all know that it's set right in front of the veil that hid the Ark of the Covenant. If you were to enter into the tabernacle, <clears throat> over to your right would be the uh, would be the golden candlestick. To your left would be the table of showbread. Right immediately in front of you would be the altar of incense. And then the veil with the cherubims and all that was woven into that veil. And then immediately behind the veil, accessible only by the high priest once a year, was um, was the Ark of the Covenant. <clears throat> now, not to describe all of that and to go into a lot of detail that perhaps you would not remember or that may not be important to the subject. Uh, the Bible tells us, and God has given this instruction, that Aaron, the high priest, or any of the Levitical priests, that would be serving in their particular role or in their particular time of service, they were to offer incense every morning and every evening uh, on this altar. Uh, when they went in to light the lamps in the morning, <clears throat> to add oil to the uh, golden candlestick, they were to burn incense. Uh, in the evening when they went in, they were to burn incense. They was to never offer any kind of strange incense upon that altar, but it was to be the pure thing and uh, the thing that God had said for them to make. <clears throat> and then a little bit later, the Lord gives to Moses the composition and the ingredients that is to go into the uh, incense itself. Uh, later on in the 30th chapter of the book of Exodus, God told him, said, you take the sweet spices of Stacte and Anka and Galbanum and frankincense. Uh, and they were to temper them together, the same amount of each of the four. They were to grind them. They were to uh, prepare them in such a way that they could be offered unto God as a perfume, the Bible said, and as a sweet-smelling savor unto the Lord, and uh, as a sacrifice. Now, incense was a sacrifice within its own right and within itself. But also it was in addition and in, in uh, correlation with other sacrifices that were made. Israel was not to make any kind of perfume or any kind of composition like unto the smell of incense. It was not something to be worn on your body. It was not something to be placed in your house. It had a specified, defined use. And that was around and in the tabernacle. And so, we have the instructions, we have the enlightenment, we have uh, all of the guidelines of what is to be done in reference to this. Now, let me point out several things to you in relation to this. Number one, it was only the priests that were to offer incense. That, that was the only ones that could do it. You remember that Nadab and Abihu, uh, they got into trouble for stepping in and offering strange fire. And feeling like that they could offer incense unto God. Uzziah, the great king of Israel, was smitten with leprosy when he took it upon himself to go into the temple and offer an offering of incense. It was a very special offering. And it was done by a very special regimented uh, little group of men that God designed. Now I think we all understand that. <clears throat> now in addition to... Uh, the altar of incense. There was a little bit of an addendum that was allowed to them, and it was this. They had what they called censers. Now, uh, not to be sacrilegious or do injustice to the word, a censer was uh, somewhat like we would call a little vessel, a little pot. Uh, <clears throat> something that you would carry with either a handle or some kind of means or mode of transportation, some kind of a chain, some kind of a handle that you could hold it. And, um, and what they would do is not only would they offer the incense on the altar of incense, it appears, but they would take censers and they would, uh, they would go to the altar of sacrifice, the brazen altar, and they would get coals from that altar. They would put them in the censer. Uh, and they would carry them into the tabernacle, or else they would just put them in the center itself and, and let them remain there. <clears throat> and then <clears throat> they would take they would take the uh, incense 
uh, this, this perfume, this stacte, onic and galbanum and, and frankincense that had been composed together and, and put together with the art of an apothecary. And they would, they would take this incense and they would drop it on the coals that come from the altar. And it would activate the incense. There would be the billowing smoke. And then above that, and more important than that, would be the strong perfume, sweet-smelling aroma that would begin to arise from the censer. And uh, that was the way that they offered it. <clears throat> it appears that not only did they take this inside of the tabernacle and, and make it a sacrifice, but it appears that the priest would take these censers and they would go to the outer court and they would take the fire off of the altar. Now remember, this was a special fire. It was fire that was ignited by the Lord, and it was to never, never go out. Now, there's a great lesson in that, and I don't have time to explore it. But they would take this fire that was never to be extinguished, that was ignited by the Almighty, and it would become the catalyst. It would become the agent whereby the incense was activated, and it was, and it was caused to function in the manner, the measure that God had so designed it. And so, if you can imagine, the priest would go to the outer court, he would get some coals of fire, and he would put them in the censer. And uh, then he would take this wonderful agency that they had prepared, this, this uh, work of the apothecary, and they would sprinkle it on the top of the burning coals, and it began its activation. And they would go to the camp, either carrying or swinging these little censers, and, and the smoke would boil. <clears throat> and the aroma would come up, and the sweet smell would begin to waft its way across the camp of Israel. And inside of the tabernacle, it would fill that hallowed sacred place, and it would make its way across the camp of Israel as they marched around the tabernacle to the outer court, <clears throat> to the to the outside, to the proximity of, of of the dwelling place of Moses and the priest and the Israelites, and and there was this wonderful relief, this wonderful odor of incense that was spreading out across the camp of Israel. <clears throat> you might say, well, brother Coon, what's what's the deal with that? That's that that doesn't do anything for us. It's just uh, an activity. It's just uh, just uh, just something that's insignificant. But hold on just a minute. Let me tell you that there was a lot that was going on in Israel besides the offering of incense. Now, I want you to get the picture. I don't want to be crass. I don't want to be bold. I don't want to be um, sickening in any sort. But I want to be very, very honest with you in, in what is going on in the camp of Israel. Now, you understand the sacrifice system. You understand that every day they offered offerings, burnt offerings. Now, all of you have smelled the burning flesh. Of animals it's a putrid sickening smell you have smelled blood not only in its raw form but in its dried form very horrible stinking sickening now <clears throat> go to the camp of Israel where there are priests now we think of all of this as kind of a sacred kind of quiet ooh, kind of a holy kind of a hush over everything but now that wasn't the way it was I'm gonna tell you what it's like it was a bunch of bawling, button, hooking bulls, blatant sheep, cooing turtle doves, a bunch of priests wrestling with a big bullock trying to get him down. And somebody said, come over here and help me hold this bullock. I can't hold him by myself. And I imagine they got the priest down a few times and stomped on them and they might have got hooked and butted and a lot of things might have happened. Do you get the picture? And here's the priest. Now, you know, he's not dressed up in a suit and a necktie. He's got blood all over him. He's got blood up his arms. And he's cutting throats. And he's catching blood. And it's running out. And, and, and there's ticking. And there's, there's struggling. And there's tide. And there's stench. And brother, you talking about a bawling, bellering, crying, dying, sickening, revolting scene. It was at the tabernacle and at the temple. Because, brother, if you've ever been to a slaughterhouse, I've killed a, helped kill a few cows. I've helped kill a few hogs. <clears throat> and uh, just an old country boy. 
And I'm going to tell you, it's, it's, it's not all, it's not all that fun and savory business that you hear about of slaughtering our own beef and killing our own hogs and blah, blah, blah. There's, there's a lot of, there's just a lot of stink and a lot of mess and a lot of junk and a, and a lot of hides and a lot of burning and a lot of stinking and a lot of roaring and, and a lot of sympathy because Things are dying and they're, they're in their death struggle and they're, they're moaning and they're taking their last breath and they're kicking with their last foot and, and they're, they're, they're trying to get up and somebody's trying to hold them down and on and on and on and on and on and on. And I could not be graphic enough to describe this situation to you, but it was a very, very stomach wrenching, retching sort of an experience. If you were to walk out of this building and walk up on a true tabernacle scene at the altar, you would regurgitate. You would be sick to your stomach. It was horrible. It was a, and, and can you imagine? They're always sprinkling this blood. <clears throat> the, these priests dipping his hands in blood and sprinkling it here and sprinkling it there and sprinkling seven times here and, and going behind the veil and sprinkling here and sprinkling on this th- item and sprinkling on this piece of furniture and, and he's got it on his hands. It's on his clothes. It's on his shoes. He stinks at home. He stinks at church. He stinks everywhere. He just got, just, he just got a mess going on here. Amen. Now, everybody get the picture. <clears throat> now, stay with me a little bit. Enter a little thing in your nose that is called an olfactory nerve. Kind of a crazy name, but that's what it is. I'm not mispronouncing it. Olfactory. O-L-F-A-C-T-O-R-Y. Olfactory. Unless you have lost your sense of smell, everybody has an olfactory nerve that is operative in your nasal passage and when there are certain odors that reach your olfactory nerve it can do a lot of things to you it can elicit oohs and ahs and and create hunger the aroma of food cooking it can create sickness in you it can create revulsion revolt distaste you can even grab your nose Olfactory nerve. Now, <clears throat> enter, enter your olfactory nerve. Now, I don't know if any of you guys, and I'm sure there is in this crowd, that are connected with oil drilling. There's a dangerous gas that emits from certain uh, strata of the earth that whenever it strikes a man that is around it, it immediately kills his olfactory nerve. It just destroys it immediately. And he loses his sense of smell. And he does not know that he is exposed to this deadly, dangerous gas. And so every oil rig has a monitoring system to monitor for this deadly gas that destroys the olfactory nerve. If it did not destroy the olfactory nerve, then you could smell it, you could flee, you could take whatever precautions. But it destroys it. And so you don't have any recourse to save your life. The sense of smell is a tremendous sense that can be life-threatening or it can be life-saving. And so, <clears throat> on the occasion that I'm talking to you about today, I'm sure that everybody's olfactory nerve worked pretty good. And so, coming to that little sensitive nerve in everybody's nose was the stench of 10,000 sacrifices, 10,000 burdens, 10,000 wrongs that was attached to every bit of this. And it was a horrible, horrible smell and environment. Now, having said all of that, <clears throat> here we enter with this wonderful and blessed and divinely ordained substance that is called incense. All of a sudden, when you have stood it as long as you can stand it, and you've held your nose and you've breathed through your mouth as long as you can stand it, all of a sudden, here comes a priest, and he's swinging a censer, and everything gets sweet. And you say, thank God for that. Hallelujah. And you might even walk over a little close to the censer and say, let me get a good smell of that. I'm about to die. And especially the priest, he might say, come over here and let this burn by me a little while. I need... I'm just about to throw up. I've just, I'm so sick. I've had about all of this I can stand. I need some incense to, to sweeten this thing up. Now, I want you to understand something. I want you to think with me just a minute in relation to this 
Bible study and to the Word of God and to what is occurring. Here's all of this stench, here's all of this junk, here's all of this blood, here's all of these hides, here's all of this burning, here's all of this smoke. And all of a sudden, somebody comes through, maybe with a half a dozen sensors to sweeten up a big area, and everything gets to smelling better. Now, the blood's not gone, the guts are not gone, pardon the rudeness. The burning hides are not gone, the hair, all of the blood, the dry, the fresh, all of the stench of the day is not gone. But all of a sudden, something begins to cover it up, and something begins to smell better, and things begin to be a little bit better, and a little more acceptable, and a little more palatable, and and a little more doable due to the fact that we've got something sweet that has come into this. Now, I could go on and on and on and on, but I want to say to you today, and, and here is the heart of what I want to talk to you about, that that incense was a type of your prayer that goes up to God. Now, I've come to tell everybody in this building that there is a power to prayer. Hallelujah. There is a sweetness to prayer. There is a deliverance to prayer. There is a salvation in prayer. Hallelujah. Oh, brother. Now, you listen to this preacher. And I'm talking to you today as, a, as an old-time pastor. It can get mighty stinking around the church of the living God sometimes. But, oh, thank God for something to sweeten it up. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Brother, I'm glad for prayer today. I'm glad for the power of prayer. Glory to God. I want to tell you, when you've stood just about as much as you can stand, when you've gone as far as you can go, and you're so sick you can't stand it any longer, thank God for that sweet aroma prayer. You can get on your face and you can begin to call on God. It may not solve the problem, but it sweetens up your life. And you can say, God, I can stand it one more day because of the power of prayer. Hallelujah. I'm glad the Lord knows how to help us today. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. I believe today, and and I just know, I'm just as human as you are. I'm just as vulnerable as you are. I'm just as much in the same fight, in the same situation as you are. And I just just know today that, that in our lives, there are things that are distressing us. Now, if you'll let me say it this way, the spiritual olfactory of our senses is being tested to the limit. We have taken about as much as we can take. We've gone about as far as we can go. We have seen the dying and the struggling and the fighting and the blood and the guts and all of the hurt about as long as we can stand it. I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, there is a divine relief in that avenue of talking to the Almighty God. There is a refuge. There is a hope. There is an answer. There is a way out for every one of us today. And it's to call on the name of the Lord God. Hallelujah. 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 Let me, let me say something to you. The further they were from the incense, the worse things stunk. And I want to tell you something. The less you pray, the more things stink. The less you pray, the harder it is to stand it. Am I making any sense today? You say, oh, Brother Coon. Now listen, don't misunderstand me. I know that prayer is a powerful thing. Don't misunderstand me. I believe in it. I've been in this business long time. I still pray. I still have to pray. Still want to pray. Still need to pray. On and on and on and on and on. But I want to tell you something. Prayer does not always, it does not always get rid of everything. Hallelujah. Incense didn't get rid of everything. I don't guess it got rid of anything. But it sure made it where you could stand it. It sweetened up the air where you could live some. Praise God. I've come to tell you that prayer doesn't eliminate everything in your life. Hallelujah. I used to have the goofy notion that if I would get so spiritual and I'd pray so much, I'd get to the place I would never get discouraged again. And bless your heart, I got discouraged and then I got discouraged because I was discouraged. Amen. Prayer does not eliminate everything from your life. It does not eliminate every situation from your life. It doesn't take away every hurt of your life, but it makes it able to be born and able to be stood and able to be lived with because there's a remedy and there's a refuge and there's a God that you can go to. Amen. So, don't get the mistaken idea that if I pray, it's going to eliminate everything that's bothering me. It won't necessarily do that. I hate to tell you this. One of the low watermarks of my life, one of the stupidest stunts I ever pulled, I hate to tell you, but I think I will and make myself look ignorant just to help you. Okay? Understand this won't give me any credibility or any glory. 
I had an old man in the church one time. And you talking about a dying, hooking, bellering bull. He was one of them. He just about run me out of my mind. Amen. I wanted to shoot him in the leg several times. Sometimes two or three feet above that. But anyway, I didn't. So I, I had all of him I could stand. This is years ago. I was a young pastor. I went to an old preacher. If I called his name here today, 95% of you'd know it. Good man, got a big church. He's quite elderly now. But I went to him and laid my little case out, which I rarely ever do. But I laid my little case out. And I said, what would you do if you had this guy? He said, oh, I know that guy. He said, I'm going to tell you what to do. Boy, he was so positive. I said, what should I do? He said, you fast and pray three days for God to kill him and get him out of your church. And that'll take care of that. <coughs> oh, boy. That's about the simplest little thing I ever heard about. Fast and pray three days. Have a funeral. Go to the house and have revival. <laughs> well, I hate to tell you. I hate to tell you. I'm sorry. I apologize for my ignorance. I've asked God to forgive me, and I'll ask you to forgive me. I went home. And I went on a three-day fast. <laughs> Just as sure as I'm... Now, can you imagine an old, an old gray-headed codger like me doing something that stupid? Now, this was years ago. I had blonde hair then. So give me a little break. Not much, but give me a little break. So I went on a three-day fast. I fasted three solid days for that turkey to die. I mean, I mean it. I'd go to the church and I'd pray. I'd say, oh, God, I'd pray for everybody that I knew, all the preachers and the saints and everybody else. I'd pray for them. And I'd get down to this guy and I'd say, I wouldn't pray quite as loud about this because I didn't want nobody to hear me. God knew what I was doing anyway, so I didn't have to announce it to everybody else. I said, now, Lord, you know I'm praying and fasting for you to kill brother so-and-so. Get him out of this church. Remove him from the kingdom of God and let us have revival. I'm telling you, I went over there about the second day. I was praying. I said, well... About 24 hours from now, women's going to have to start cooking food. I'm fixing to get a call, and i got to preach a funeral. No use in planning nothing. God's fixing to take care of this. I'm serious. Just sure as I'm right here on this platform, I prayed. I said, now, God, this church has got to go on. I want you to kill this fella. Well, I'd look at my clock, and I'd think, yeah, you got three more hours, buddy. You, you've tormented me just about as long as you're going to torment me. My guts was a growl, and I was so hungry. But it was worth it. It was well worth it. Amen. You know, people have all kinds of expressions about when I fast, this happens and that happens. I get the headache, and I get, I get hungry when I fast. I'll just tell you. Just bless God, I just get hungry. I went on an extended fast. I won't tell you how long. I never go in the grocery store. So help me God. I don't go in grocery stores today. I don't know where anything's at. I don't know how much anything costs. But I went on a lengthy fast one time. And my wife can tell you. And you could buy a, a, enough groceries to feed me and her and our two kids for about $25 a week. It was that long ago. I'm telling you, in that protracted fast, I bought over $100 worth of groceries myself. I bought stuff that I had never eaten before. But it just, it just sounded good. I'm just telling you, you fast enough, buddy, and it'll, it, just, it just gets that way. You know, you could eat a colored dish rag and just, you know, just, I'm telling you. I, and that's where I was at. I was just hungry. I was, but I said, you know, this is well worth it for me and this church. We can have peace. We can have the blessing of the Lord. I won't have to put up with this idiot anymore. And I was as serious as, as cancer. I, I mean, I'm telling you, I just, I just prayed. Well, lo and behold, would you believe that after all my praying, after all my spiritual exercise, after following the advice of the elder, after doing all of that stuff, you know what? The old man didn't even get sick, much less die. <clears throat> You're talking about a powerless preacher. I'm kind of powerless. If anything, he got meaner. I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you the truth. He just got worse. And I said, now, Lord, what am I going to do? How am I going to fix this? But I'll tell you what fixed it, and I'm going to be honest with you. The Holy Ghost smote me for doing that. That was wrong. That was stupid. I hate to tell I hate to admit that I was that idiotic. But I'm telling you, I did it. But you know what? God fixed that problem. 
Did you know God cleared it up and he didn't move him to another church? I'm just going to tell you about people that cause trouble in churches. They have big families. They infect their kids. They live to be 99 years and 9 months and 14 days old. And they don't ever miss a service. And they don't ever change churches. I'm just telling you. Just the way it is. I'm sorry. Hallelujah. And so, here I am. I'm stuck. I can't, I don't have enough faith for him to die. And <laughs> got enough grace to put up with him. What am I going to do? I'll tell you what. When God got through working on me, I'll tell you what I did. And I'm not very spiritual. But I went to the altar. And that was hard at first. I don't think it worked at first. But I went to the altar. And I said, God, I want you to forgive me. Number one. Number two, I want you to bless this man. I want you to save him. I want you to save his family. And I got to the place that it was coming from my heart. And I meant it. And I was talking to God in the right spirit. I'm going to tell you as far as I know, he never did change, but I changed. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, prayer sweetened up the atmosphere. Praise God. And you listen to this preacher today. When I tell you, the God of glory said for you to pray for them that despitefully use you. They may not stop despitefully using you, but you can have the power and the glory and the victory to survive what anybody is doing to you. Hallelujah. Thank God for incense that sweetens up the air and makes life worth living. Hallelujah. 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 Oh, I'm glad the Lord knows how to make our lives bearable, don't you? <clears throat> Amen. And it is the answer. It's God's answer for the unbearable, for the things that we do not think that we can stand. Amen. <clears throat> Our Lord Himself used this medium and this advantage and this power and this opportunity to make three solemn, simple requests <clears throat> that were never answered. And it was simply this. Father, if it be possible... Let this cup pass from me. You're talking about bitter. You're talking about an odor. You're talking about crushing. You're talking about hurt. You're talking about death. It was there. But he turned and he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. I'm here to tell you, you know the story just as well as I. The cup was not removed from him, but there was an angel that came and strengthened him. Hallelujah. I want to tell you, friend, the cup may not be gone, but there will be something there to strengthen you. Hallelujah. I'm telling you that if you'll touch God, if you will walk with God, if you will use the power of prayer, I can't bring your baby back. It may not solve every problem in your life. It may not change every situation, but it'll sweeten up your life. It'll bring joy to your soul. It'll bring strength to your life and you can get up and say God I can stand it another day I can walk another day I can shout the victory another day because of the power of prayer and of talking to God hallelujah oh I'm glad the Lord knows how to help us let's stand up and praise him just a little bit come on let's give him a little bit of praise <clears throat> hallelujah let's sweeten up the air let's make it joyful around here glory to God there's a power in praise and worship and in prayer unto the Lord Hallelujah. 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 Now, I don't want to preach as long as I did yesterday. I think I'm getting hungry quicker than I did yesterday. So you can be seated. But let me, let me hurry. Let me hurry. We've all preached about him. We've all used the story. But let me give you a few little things here and I'll try to finish up. I think you see what I'm talking about. I think you see the story. We've all preached about Paul. We've preached about his thorn in the flesh. And he said, I besought the Lord three times to remove this. I asked God to remove it. And I, I just, I'm teaching what I feel today. But I started to teach on the reply of the Lord to him. The Lord said, my strength is made perfect in weakness. The completion of the strength of God, the crowning glory of God's strength, 
is to find something weak to make it strong with his power. That's the completion of it. His strength is not perfect until he finds a human weakness to supply it to. And he said, Paul, in essence, my strength is sufficient. I'm not going to take the thorn from you. I'm not going to remove it. But my strength is made perfect in weakness. And my grace is sufficient for thee. Now, what God told him was, and he was praying about this. He said, I'm not going to remove it. My strength is made perfect in weakness. And you know what I'm going to do for you, Paul? I'm going to give you grace to bear it. I'm sorry, brothers and sisters. I'm a faith preacher. I believe in miracles. I believe in signs. And I believe in wonders. But I'm sorry to tell you, as an old pastor of years of experience, I've preached a lot of funerals. I've visited a lot of nursing homes. I have, I have presided over a lot of hurts and disappointments in life that I wanted God to fix and I wanted God to remove it and I wanted God to take care of it. But he never, never did. But you know what he does? In that hurt, in the stink, in the crying, in the dying, in the suffering, in the agony, there is a sweetness that comes drifting across the atmosphere. It's not changed, but it's bearable. It's not gone, but it's livable. And you can serve God in spite of it. I had a daughter, and I won't go into this story, but I had a daughter eight years ago. Right now she was 25, expecting her second child. She was diagnosed with an inoperable tumor in her chest. Uh, Non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Took her to several cancer centers. The doctors give us very little hope for her survival. They said she will, could well, easily die on the first chemotherapy treatment. Well, I don't want to give you all the details, but let me just simply say to you that after eight long, agonizing years, sleeping, I have slept on floors, I have slept in chairs, I've, I've slept in every kind of situation. I, I just went through, pardon the expression, hell on earth. Never suffered such agony in my lifetime. My only girl. And, um, oh, you're talking about crushed. And I prayed and I prayed and I fasted. And I did, just did what everybody else does. I'm here to tell you, and I rejoice and I report to you up to this good hour. Just a few weeks ago, she graduated from nursing school with a nursing degree. She is the choir director in our church. Her baby girl that was born when she was diagnosed with cancer is an absolute, perfect, healthy little baby girl. My daughter, as far as I know, is absolutely healthy today. God healed her body. Hallelujah. And you can say praise the Lord with me today. Would you say praise the Lord with me? Praise the Lord. Three years or so ago, same family, same God, same church, same pastor. Same everything. I had a sister who was three years younger than I. We grew up, we were the closest of our two, of the six kids in age. We played together. We rode stick horses together. We climbed trees together. We played in the barn together. We run the fields together. We went to church together. And I left Gina and stayed gone for 20 years, 26 plus years ago. I moved back to Gina. And become my sister's pastor. Had a wonderful husband. He was uh, had quite a position with an oil company. My sister was one of the, and I'm not saying this in a bragging, familial uh, endorsement of any sort. I'm just simply stating raw facts. My sister was as good a saint as I've ever seen in my life. We have a Bible readers banquet for our church. The last one she attended. She had read her Bible completely through every year for the past 30 years. She never missed paying her tithes. She gave to our church liberally. She was a faithful, faithful saint. I left a camp meeting and flew to Houston, Texas for them to operate on her 
for cancer. Same hospital that my daughter was in, MD Anderson. I'm sorry. I'm hurt. I'm crushed. I feel lonely. I miss her. I'm sorry to tell you that 18 months later, I preached my sister's funeral in our church, and she weighed only 65 pounds. My heart was broken. Now, I cannot answer all of that for me, and I can't answer all of that for you, but I can tell you this, that the God that I prayed to that did not choose to heal my sister, and I have no bitterness, no anger, no residual feelings against God. I love Him, and I trust Him explicitly, entirely, and completely. The same God who answered somebody's prayer and healed my daughter, who did not answer my prayer to heal my sister. He takes the same prayers from the same preacher that stands before you here today, and He sweetens my life. My sister will never come back to Gina. I will never play in the fields with her again. I will never walk through life. I will never sit at another banquet in a little country restaurant and give her an award for reading her Bible again. But you know what? I live by the faith of the Son of God every day. And I walk in the aroma of the incense of the Holy Ghost that God is good. I can't change it, but I can live in it. Hallelujah. It's the sweetness of the presence of God. I've come to tell you, folks, you may not, I may not, and no other preacher can fix it all for you, but if you'll learn that secret place of the Most High, if you'll learn how to walk with God, I want to tell you, you can pastor a church, you can raise a family, you can walk to graveyards, you can visit nursing homes, you can roll wheelchairs down the aisle, you can buy braces, you can do all kinds of things and never get bitter at God because there's an incense of prayer that can sweeten up our world and it can touch our soul and it can make life so much better for us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I read to you today the agonizing prayer of David. Now, we think of Psalms as just being a happy, singing, jovial, rejoicing situation. But you read the Psalms explicitly and closely and introspectively, and you're going to discover that much of the Psalms is Psalms of agony. Oh, God, hear me in my distress. Stop my enemies. Lord, be a provision for me. Be a shelter. Be a rock. Be this. Be that. The agony of a man that is being chased by Saul. Much of Psalms is set in the book of First and Second Samuel in the setting of a man who is chased by Saul, who is hurt and who is disappointed. And he sings his agony and his prayer unto God to save me out of the hand of my enemies, O oh God. I want to tell you, friend, that for David's life um, uh, and all of the things that he faced, the, 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 the betrayal of Saul, the hand of God against him because of his failure, I'm telling you, it never did go away. It never was erased. But there was that prayer. Hallelujah. There was that walking with God. There was that talking with God that made everything better and livable. Hallelujah. I've come to tell you, sir. I've come to tell you, ma'am. If you have failed God, why don't you sweeten up the air with a good prayer meeting and a good talk to God and get it all fixed up today. Hallelujah. There's something that can rise out of your soul that will sweeten up your world. Hallelujah. You pardon me, I'm going to do something that I'm a little embarrassed to do, and it's certainly not in keeping with the camp meeting, and it's not in keeping with this beautiful, beautiful building. But about 40 years ago, close to it, and you North Little Rock people will know probably where this is at. I used to live in a little four-room house over on School Street in North Little Rock. Some of you know where it's at. Wasn't a fancy neighborhood. Wasn't anything else. Just a little four-room white house. Had two little bedrooms, a little tiny bath. Just me and my wife over 40, around 40 years ago. Didn't have any children. <clears throat> I was pastored at Scott, Arkansas. And uh, I invited J.W. Evans from Lake Charles, Louisiana, to come preach for me. 
Brother J.W. Evans originated in Arkansas. Big red-headed Irishman, tough as a boot, had a great church in Lake Charles. You remember Brother Evans, Brother Hare? You pastored down at Lake Charles area. He's quite a character, wasn't he? If he got something hung under his false teeth, he'd just jerk them out and look at it and lick it off and stick it back in his mouth. In church. Now, I'm not talking about the house. I'm talking about church. Quite a guy. Quite a guy. But he had a big church. You remember he had a big church, didn't he, brother? He had a good church. He's a good man. I love Brother Evans. <clears throat> and I invited him to come to Scott and preach for me. We had a king-sized bed that me and Sister Coon slept in because we're kind of king-sized people. Not this way, but whatever. Anyway. We had one king-sized bed and we had one regular bed. Well, to treat our company nice, we put Brother Evans in our bed. And we slept in the little bitty back bedroom, we called it. Brother Evans preached. We went home. We went to bed. Now, let me just tell you this before I go any further. Brother Evans had several children. At that point, he had twin girls that were, you remember the twins, had that pretty blonde hair, and they was pretty wild to go with that blonde hair. And I speak respectfully. But <clears throat> I knew, I knew the, some of the Evans children, and they were lost. Pretty wild. Long ways away from God. Brother Evans is getting pretty old now. He's sleeping in the good bedroom. We're in the little back bedroom. <clears throat> and all of a sudden, 4 o'clock in the morning, I hear this horrible sound. Oh! <laughs> oh, God! Just like that. And I jumped out of the bed. I said, oh, my, what's happening? And I run in the little living room we had. And here was what was happening. Laying on his back, just like this, I can see him, with his foot up on the back of the couch, was J.W. Evans. And he was doing this. Oh, <laughs> oh God, would you save my twins? They're going to hell, God. I can't stand it. You've got to do something, God. I can't stand it. Please. And he would go, oh, oh, God. I know everybody on school street hurt him. He scared the fire out of me. <clears throat> and when I went running in there, I guess it kind of did something. Uh, the door or something caught his attention. He's laying there in his pajamas, fully clad, just crying and hollering and begging. And I run in there, and, and I didn't say anything, but he saw me. And he looked at me from that couch, and he said, Brother Coon, he said, I'd give anything I own. And he just cried, if my girls could be saved. I just, I don't know what to do. And I'm, I'm here to tell you <coughs> that every day he was in our house, you could just plan on it, 4 o'clock in the morning, 3.30 or something, he would jar me out of bed with that hollering and that yelling and that screaming and that crying. Old brother J.W. Evans. I watched his family go. I watched him scatter. And I watched him die. And I watched them get worse. But you're talking about a man who knew how to pray. J.W. Evans did. He told me when he preached for me, I live 15 miles from the church I pastored. He said I would backslide living 15 miles from a church. He said, i got to go to church and pray. That's what he told me. He said, I wouldn't have this church. And he meant that. You, you remember how he prayed, Brother Hare. He'd go down to that old church on 6th Street and he'd just pray. Some guy passed by there one day and he told it all over town. He said, I heard that preacher in there practicing his sermon one day. What he heard was Brother Evans praying. Oh, you're talking about a man of prayer. Watched all of that, watched all of that. Brother Evans died, Sister Evans died. Their kids were lost. And here's a man that's built a great church, did a great work for God. <clears throat> and his family is lost. I want you to get the picture. 
few years ago, many, 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 many years. Now understand, this was 40, almost 40 years ago that J.W. Evans is crying and weeping and hollering and begging God to save his kids. A few years ago, I got a call from Arkadelphia, Arkansas. The pastor said, would you come to Arkadelphia and dedicate our church? I said, I'd be happy to. Worked out in my schedule. I went to Arkadelphia. Beautiful new church. Preached the dedication. Had a good service that night. Beautiful building. Church is over. Pastor said, we've got refreshments in the back of the church. <clears throat> and we want, or down in the fellowship hall, over in the fellowship hall, we want everybody to go, and especially the preachers. Well, I went. So, on the way to the fellowship hall, there was a little area, a little hallway you went through, and there was places for people to sit. And there was quite a number of people that were sitting there. So I'm walking down through here, and I'm speaking to folks, how you doing? Praise the Lord. Just, you know, just like any visiting preacher. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And here's this woman. She's, uh, she's not nearly about young anymore. And she stops me, and she says, hey, Brother Coon, uh, you from Louisiana? And I said, yeah, I'm from Louisiana. I'm from Gina, Louisiana. <clears throat> she said, um, would you have ever happened to know a man by the name of J.W. Evans? I said, oh, my, did I know J.W. Evans? He was one of my best friends. She said, do you remember us? I said, no. Do you know Brother Evans? She said, I'm one of the twins. And this is the other twin. And this is my brother. And this is another one of the kids here, or how many there was there that night. And they all sitting there, apostolic looking, and they said, they just chimed up and said, we're all in the church now. We've all got the Holy Ghost. The entire family is living for God. Hallelujah. Oh, oh, oh. I walked I walked away from those kids and I think about it in tears I said I could see J.W. Evans laying on that old couch in that little humble house with his foot up on the back of the couch and I could hear his old voice again God don't let my twins go to hell and he's in the grave he's done turned back to dust and here I am looking at an answered prayer of an old prophet that's been long dead. I'm telling you folks, what I'm preaching about works today. Hallelujah. 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 I'm telling you, this thing is real. Prayer works. Praise God. It may not fix everything, but it'll make it where you can stand it and where you can live it and where you can go on with God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm going to ask the musicians to come if they would. <clears throat> I've got I've to close. I've got to quit. But I think, I think all of you get the message today. I think you understand what I'm talking about. There are things that, and understand, man, I, I don't want to sound like an, a man of weak faith and no confidence. There are things that prayer just doesn't fix the way we want it fixed. But there is no situation in your life but what prayer can make it endurable. You don't have to get bitter over burying your husband. You don't have to get bitter because you get old and you get decrepit and you get disabled. I've said it many, many times that there is no healing for old age. I wish there was. But if you get your healing and you're 90, you're still going to be 90. Or you're going to be 65 or whatever. And I live on the brink, not severely, but I live on the brink of old age fears. I'm 64. Sister Holmes told me, said, oh, you're just a young fellow yet. <laughs> I think she's 83. Well, I am to her, but I ain't to me. You understand what I'm saying? Now, you know... I'm not asking you to confess anything. I'm not asking you to admit anything. I'm not asking you to vote. But I think I can speak honestly today. And I see several gray heads out there, and I see a lot of people that are advancing on in years. And I've watched a lot of situations in my 42 years of pastoring. And I think I can say that as the years come, and retirement comes, and advancement comes, I can say this to every pastor. As you begin to lose that vigor, I've been able to preach an hour and a half and never catch your breath hardly. And you feel weary and tired and beat and, and the rigors and the agonies of age begin to slip up on you. 
there are fears that comes to your heart. And if the musicians would go ahead and come if you'd like. All of these things come against us. And the, the people that deal with this call it the morbidity decryption. I don't, I don't know about all of that. But there are, there are six major old age fears. And, and I don't want to talk about all of this, but let me just throw them out because they're out there. The fear of being unloved and unwanted is one of them. Nobody wants me. Nobody loves me. Of being financially dependent upon somebody. I can't support myself. I have a protracted illness, just sick and nobody to help me. There's another one. Another one is becoming physically repulsive. Some kind of disfiguration, some kind of cancer. To eat your eyeball out or to eat the nose off of your face or to take away your lips or your chin. These are occurrences. And so the devil attacks you with fears. You're going to be a burden. You're going to be ugly. You're going to be repulsive. Nobody's going to want you. You're going to be broke and you're going to be a burden to society. And so the devil hounds you and he beats you. Another one is of being a nuisance and being a burden to people. Another one is of being senile. Not having good intellect. You say, ah, that kind of stuff won't ever bother me. It will someday. It'll come riding up silently on the backside of your house and the backside of your life and slip into where you live before you know it. And so as you face the sunset of time and the agonies and fears, looking back over life's history, some of you have gone through agonies and hurts. Some of you have been hurt in church. Some of you have been hurt in pastoring a church. Some of you have buried your only boy or your only girl. Some of you visit a nursing home to look into the face of somebody who raised you that doesn't even know your name. I wish we could fix it all. I wish we could get every preacher out of a wheelchair. I wish I could bring back the things that have caused you hurt, agony, and sorrow. But you know I can't. You say, what am I going to do, Brother Coon? Let me give you an answer. There's an element of incense that can sweep across your life. And make it better, make it sweeter. Out of your hurt can come great things. I taught a Bible study on Samson's riddle many years ago. That out of the eater comes meat. And out of the strong comes sweetness. It's out of the things that will devour you that you survive. They make you better. They make you stronger. But you can only come to that point of understanding and realization if you use the incense of prayer. Let me close. Sometimes we think God has ruined our lives. We're hurt, we're crushed, broken. He never put it back together again. But there's a scripture in the Bible that says He makes everything beautiful. In His own time. All things work together for good to them that love God. Not each thing, but all things. I taught a Bible study years ago in our church and I had my wife bring every ingredient that went in a cake and put it on the communion table. We had vanilla flavoring, we had shortening, we had sugar. We had all kinds of stuff. We had eggs. I don't know what else goes in a cake. But we had it up there. And you know what? I offered everybody a raw egg. I offered everybody a tablespoon full of sugar. I offered everybody three tablespoons full of Crisco. Nobody wanted any of it. Each one of those things was repulsive within itself. But when you mix them together, and you blend it together, it all works together together for good 
Every little thing that happens to you is not fun. Every little situation is not particularly a blessing. But when the great creator gets through fixing the picture, and he gets through fixing your life, it's going to work together for good, and he's going to make it beautiful in his time. Many years ago, many, many years ago, I was in... Uh, I was in Nashville, Indiana. <clears throat> Nashville, Indiana is kind of a tourist area. I pastored in Columbus, Indiana, 16 miles away. We would go over to Nashville just to kind of relax. Little quaint Midwestern town, beautiful brown county hills. And there was, there was a lot of painters that would come to Nashville and they would paint the landscape, they'd paint the brown county hills. And so they would sit out on the sidewalk or on the street and they'd paint scenes of the beautiful hills. So Sister Coon and I went to Nashville one day and parked the car. We were walking down the sidewalk, kind of on the edge of town, and the whole sidewalk was blocked. People was out on the edge of the street. And I didn't know what was going on. And so being as nosy as I am, I decided I'd find out. So I got up to where the crowd was at and I kind of wormed my way around and got up to the front and I I kind of made a way for her and she come up and got beside me we're standing there we get to the front here's this artist sitting in a chair has his easel and he's painting a picture beautiful round county scene and and it was just an opportune time lots and lots of people gathered around watching standing on their tiptoes pushing and shoving like people do and so <clears throat> I watched him and he put the final touches to the picture Ladies rushes down, turned around to the crowd, and he said, Now, ladies and gentlemen, he said, I finished this beautiful oil painting. And he said, It's for sale. Uh, you see it? Is there anybody here who would make me an offer on this painting? It's open for bid. Well, people started walking off. And he said, Now, come on, folks. Come on, come on, come on. He said, Somebody make me an offer. Nobody said anything. More folks left. He kept pleading with the crowd, come on, make me an offer, make me an offer, make me an offer. And people just kept leaving, just kept leaving, kept leaving. I started to leave myself, but I stayed. <clears throat> and he raised his voice. He got pretty angry, pretty vociferous. And he said, all right, come on. He said, now somebody give me a bid on this. He said, I don't want to take this picture home. You mean to tell me after all of this work, nobody wants this beautiful picture? Nobody said a word. And they walked off. Just a few of us left. And then he got real loud again and I looked at my wife I thought his behavior was quite erratic and strange <clears throat> and so he said all right if that's the way you feel about it nobody's gonna buy this picture I'll tell you what I'm gonna do and he just reached over and grabbed a big old wide brush stuck it down in some dark brown paint went over to this big oil painting and he started right at the top and he just, just ruined it and I looked at my wife and I said, you know, that guy's an idiot. Just ruined that beautiful picture. I'm telling you, it's the most beautiful picture. And, and he put them big old brown brush marks from the top to the bottom. Just a bunch of them. I said, that guy's crazy. Well, I don't know why I didn't walk off. <clears throat> but I just stayed to watch somebody that ridiculous. And I'm glad I stayed. You know what he did after he got through ruining that beautiful picture? <clears throat> he reached over and he got a little brush. And he started painting limbs. He started painting leaves. And I stood there and watched a man that took a picture that was absolutely worthless and ruined. And I watched him transform it by the hand of an artist into a far more beautiful picture than what it had ever been. There are some of you today that feel like that God has ruined your life. If this would have happened, if he hadn't have let this happen, and you think the picture is ruined, but just wait, the master artist it's not through yet.
And he's going to make everything beautiful in his time. Can you trust him till then? Can you keep praying till then? Can you keep walking with him till then? If this message has been a blessing to you today, please pass it along to someone else or simply tell them about PreachItAudio.com. If you would like to find a spirit-filled church where lives are transformed in your area, I encourage you to email us today at churches at preachitaudio.com. Let us know the city and state you live in, and we will reply back to you very quickly to direct you to the church in your area where you will receive the strength you need for your life today, and where you too can receive the gift of the Holy Ghost.